Let's go to the book of Hebrews. We're going to go to chapter 12, the chapter of the great race. The great race that we run. One thing about our life is it's never, it, we're never off that race. We're never taking a break. We're never at the concession stand. We're always running the race. You can be running it slowly. You can be running it out of bounds. You can be running the wrong direction, but you're always on the race somehow. And thank God He's given us the course to run. He's given us the power to run it. He's given us the word that will sustain us and an example to follow, something to fix our eyes on. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, He says, now consider the, the chapter before. He's just talked about the great heroes of faith, right? Specifically, for the most part, old covenant heroes. In fact, you could almost say exclusively Old Testament heroes. They've run before. It says in Hebrews 11, uh, and let's, let me just read the verse before chapter 12. He says, And all these, all these men, all these women, having gained approval through their faith. That's important, right? How do you gain God's approval? Faith. You might think that you gain approval by, uh, by, by doing a little bit better than the guy next to you might think that you gain approval by um, just trying a little bit harder than the guy next to you. But the Scripture says, here's how you gain approval, by your faith. Of course, we read 11, chapter 11, it says, by faith they did things. So when you start with faith, faith has fruit. And that fruit is action, right? So as James said, show me your faith, I'll show you somebody who did something. Somebody's got faith, and somebody's going to do something. And here's what it says. It says, all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised. Doesn't mean they didn't receive promises because in a few verses before it says they obtained promises. But there's a bigger promise that they didn't get because they, they died before Jesus came along. And it says, having died, it says, having gained approval by their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us. So that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. We've taught this before, but I'll say it again. This tells us that the race is not single races that we're each running. And maybe you've envisioned that. I fought the good fight. I finished my race. You figured you had your own race, and everyone has their other race. But this talks about a great race, one big race. And these people, it says, they have, without us, they're not made perfect, or they're not finished. Their race isn't done until you run yours. We're part of the same race they were part of. We just get the final leg, which is the coolest one in my opinion. It says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also, in other words, just like they did, lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us. Now let's stop there for a minute. Well, the two things he tells us to lay aside, every encumbrance or weight, and sin. So we, of course, know that there is sin that tangles you up and slows you down. There's also weight that slows you down. And if it's weight and sin, when you're talking about weight, that means it's not stuff that's even necessarily sinful, but if it slows you down, it, let it go. Now, I believe that this, this can refer to 
things in your life that take your time, things in your life that occupy you, relationships that aren't bearing any fruit. Sure, of course. But this also, things, uh, this also talks about things that you've been bearing, that you've been carrying, that Jesus said, I will carry these things that He didn't tell you to carry. He didn't design you to carry. There's guilt, there's shame, there's worries, there's cares. All these things are also weights that slow you down. And He says, you've got to let go of those things just as much as you've got to let go of sin. Because all of this stuff is going to slow you down. And you're here to run and you're here to win. And he says, let us run with endurance. The race set before us. I believe that God, through his word, you don't see him talk so much about who ran faster. One word that you see is endurance. The biggest thing to God is not whether you sprinted or not. The biggest thing to God is whether you endured. He's given you everything you need to endure, thank God. But this means let's run with endurance. Let's not slow down. Let's not lose heart. Let's not lose our courage. Let's not lose our hope. Let's run just like you did when you first found out you were on a race. Run with passion. Run with faith. And he says, here's here's how you do that. Let us run with endurance, the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Do you know what it means to fix your eyes? That means you've got to tell them when they want to go other places that they have to look there. To fix your eyes means that they don't naturally go somewhere, that you're telling them that's where you're looking. And you're not moving, and they want to go, wait, 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 what, about, what about Ralph? Ralph's in the other lane, and Ralph seems to be running better than me, and Ralph's got cooler shorts than I do. And you just say, no, we're fixing our eyes on Jesus. And your eyes go, but wait a second, can we just turn around? I want to see, there's some stuff behind, did I leave the iron on? Was there, I mean, and, and it wants to turn around and look back, and, and you know, of course, if, you've, if you run, if you bike, if you do any of that, that when you turn and look at something, you start running in that direction. Happens when you're driving, unfortunately, doesn't it? <laughs> My wife and I just came back from driving uh, 2,000 miles each way, and, and we didn't have time to stop and do much of anything. We were, it was more of a business drive. And so, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff that we go by. Look, there's a buffalo. Not a, not a real buffalo, a giant buffalo in Jamestown, North Dakota. And you want to look at it, but my wife will tell you, when I start looking at something on the side of the road, we hear rumbles pretty soon. And uh, so my wife tells me, fix your eyes on the road. I'll take pictures. Uh, we can pull over and look at something. This is not good for you to keep looking. And uh, it's like that in our race. You're looking at other people, you'll go off course. Comparing yourself, the Bible says, don't compare yourself with one another. It's not wise. Don't look at the past. Don't look at... Don't spend your life looking at the lines of disqualification for a runner knows that in order to qualify and in order to win, he's got to stay in the line. We know that, right? But if he spends the whole time worrying just about the lines, he'll never win. He'll be looking at the lines the whole time and he'll go slower than anybody else. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The author, that means he began it, and perfecter, that means he's the one that finishes it, of our faith. Who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross thank God for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God now think about that for a moment because it says for consider him 
who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So what's God concerned about here? He does not want you to grow weary and lose heart. God cares about you. He cares about your race. And one thing he says is here's how you can keep yourself from growing weary and losing heart. Now we all know believers that started out strong but got about halfway through and things didn't happen like they thought they'd happen. Or took longer than they thought would happen. Or maybe they're just worn out. Maybe, they, maybe their intentions were off. Maybe they, the whole time they were just working a little bit harder to be loved when they should have realized they were loved to start with. I don't know. But either way, they've gotten about halfway through. They've gotten three quarters of the way through. And they just get weary and they give up. And maybe they, maybe they stop doing all the things they used to do and they used to do them with joy. Or maybe they're still doing those things that they used to do. But now it's just, it's just dead works. It's just flesh. It's, they're not doing it because they love to do it. They're not doing it because God told them to do it. They're doing it just because it needs to be done. And if I quit, no one else will do it. And, and all of a sudden they've lost heart. God is concerned about you. And I'm not, I don't mean concerned like worried. I mean concerned like He cares. And He cares about your life and He cares about your race enough to say, here's how you keep from growing weary. How do you grow weary? By doing something enough that eventually you get tired and you lose your strength. When you lose your strength, you lose heart. Isn't that what happens when you run? When you try to run long distance? For the first little bit, you're running and you think, I could do this all day. You've got some great music in your ears and you just go, I, I don't know why I don't do this all the time. I could probably run to Edmonton and not break a sweat. And then all of a sudden, two minutes later, you're, <laughs> and you realize that uh, the goal you set for yourself might have been too lofty. You grow, your body grows weary, you grow weary, and then what happens you start to lose heart. You get discouraged because you weren't able to do what you thought you could do. That's what happens in our spiritual walk. You grow weary. And, you know, the Bible, I mean, God says, in order to do what He called you to do, you need strength. How many times did He say to Joshua, in one conversation, you might think, well, God, God only has to say something once. And it's said in the eye, hear it and I believe it. But God said to Joshua, only be strong and be courageous. He says a few more words, but be strong and courageous. Joshua, be strong and courageous. Says it to him several times. And before that, he told Moses to tell him to be strong and courageous. Because in order to take this land, it's not going to take more smarts. In order to take this land, it's not going to take better weapons. In order to take this land, it's going to take you being strong and you being of good courage. And here we see the loss of both of those things. Weariness is losing strength. And when you lose heart, there goes your courage. You don't need to lose those things. Those are the things that God's called you to. But when God said to Joshua, be strong and courageous, what did we just talk about? God did not command him to be strong and courageous. God just gave him strength and courage when he said it. Be strong be courageous. When God says be strong to you, you just got stronger. And when He says be courageous, you just got courage. If you'll receive it. So this is what He says. Be strong and be courageous. You can't finish the race if you're not strong. And unless you've got heart, you're not going to run the race. You're not going to finish the race. So He says this. 
You've got to consider Him. Jesus. Consider Jesus. What does consider mean? It means to think about Him. Boy, is that, is that the first thing that comes to your mind when you're going through a lot of hard things? When you're enduring hostility? Remember, the book of Hebrews was not written in a time of peace. The book of Hebrews was written in a time of great persecution to a group of people who were having to leave, who already felt oppressed by the Romans, already felt that everything had been taken away from them, and all of a sudden, all they've got left is their family, their culture, and their faith in God, the Jewish faith in God. Then Jesus comes along. In, in Hebrews, we see two groups of people. We see people that have just sold out and said, we're following Jesus. And as a result, the Bible says in, in, in Hebrews that their property has been taken away, that their families have disowned them, that they've been basically ostracized from their own culture. Remember, that's all you had. A group of people who are now under Roman oppression, they say, all we've got left is our family. And your family says, if you follow Jesus, you're not my son anymore. All I've got left is my culture. And they say, we don't want anything to do with you. You do that Christian thing, you're gone. All they've got left is their faith and their religion. And, they, and here they're learning that Jesus, while an extension of fulfillment of those things, is calling them to actually go through a new and living way. And they're having to deal with that. And so let's, let's just realize when this letter is written, it's not written to people that are just doing great. It's written to people that are enduring hostility. And here's what he says. Consider Jesus. It's very easy at these times to think about the people that are hurting you. To think about how you can make them like you more. To think about the ways to get out of your trouble. But here he says, here's what you need to think about. Stop thinking about all the things that have come against you. Consider Jesus. Think about what he does. Fix your eyes on him. And then watch what he did. Because he's our example. And, and Friends, no matter what happens to you, no matter who hurts you, no matter who comes against you, you're never facing anything as much as Jesus had to bear. And He bore it for you. Thank God. So here He says, consider Him. Now, now the verse before, if we're going to consider Jesus, watch what He did. Watch how He went through that. It says, for the joy set before Him, He endured. So He was looking. That's what He's thinking about. You want to know what Jesus is going, what he's thinking when he goes to the cross? Do you think he's thinking, ow, that's going to hurt, ow, that's going to hurt, ow, that already hurts, ow. You, you think that's what he's thinking the whole way? Oh, Lord, please don't let this be long. You know, he, if he's thinking that, he's going to give up a long time ago. He's not thinking about that. It says, for the joy set before him. That's what he's thinking about. Joy in front of me. This is what I'm thinking about the other side of the cross. I'm thinking about the family that I'm going to bring in. I'm going to think about my new, my new family. I'm going to think about all the glory that comes. I'm going to think about what happens when I bust out of that tomb. I'm going to think about taking death captive and get the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He's not thinking about, ouch, this hurts, and oh, this is hard. He's thinking about the joy set before him. What does it say? It says, for, it's in, in the verse before, it says, Fix our, our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. But what does it mean to despise? See, in, in our, we've said this before, but in our modern vernacular, despise means I hate it, I hate it, I, I despise you. And when you despise somebody in our modern language, 
you're actually thinking about them a lot. It's like Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner. You're just thinking about how you can... But in Old English, as well as the original language that this is written, that word means to count lightly, to not give it any account, not to, not to give it any worth. Just to say it's not even important to me. It's light, it, doesn't, it doesn't even affect me. That's why nobody likes to be despised. The Old Testament, Isaiah, says that Jesus was despised by many. It doesn't mean he was hated by many. It means that they counted him. They didn't give him his worth. They didn't think he was, he, he was anything to look at. And what did he do? What's he thinking about? He's thinking about the joy set before him. And what's he not thinking about? The shame. He's despising it. It means he's not giving it any account in his life. He's in the great scale of how he feels and how he thinks and how, what his eyes are fixed on. The joy is heavy and the shame is light. I mean, and he bore all of our shame on the cross. I mean, you will never face the shame that he felt. You will never bear the burden that he bore. And he goes, I despise, I don't even, it, it's not even worth thinking about. This is how he endured the cross. Without that, he never would have been able to endure that. He looked at the joy and counted the shame as nothing. Throughout your life, throughout our lives, you're going to have to decide what weighs more and what costs more. You have to decide what's valuable and what's not valuable. What's worth thinking about, what's not worth thinking about. What matters and what doesn't matter. And that's going to affect how you run the race because those weights... A lot of them come by what you've given weight to. You go through the race letting things burden you down that shouldn't even matter. People quit. They quit doing what God's called them to because of little tiny things that they've given much weight to. They leave, they leave where God told them to be because of some offense or hurt. Relationships that God designed are broken because somebody said one wrong word. And instead of regarding it as light, they took it as heavy. And it got heavier the more they considered it and the more they thought of it. Because the more you think about something, the heavier it will be in your life. And when you think about the good things, that's good that those things are weighty. The glory of God, Jesus Himself, those things should, in the scale of your life, weigh a lot more the weight of eternity you know this light stuff that we deal with it's not worth our time in fact let's read that 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 now remember we're, 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 our launch pad is that Hebrews 12 we're thinking about that race life is the race it's not the rat race it's not the amazing race but it is the race that we've been called to it's not meant... Think about it. Have you ever watched those professional athletes run? You ever watched them run? I mean, I think of, of Eric Little. I don't know if you remember his story. Eric Little was a missionary to China. He grew up, his parents were missionaries to China. He was a fast runner. God gave him a gift to run. And of course, he, I mean, he, he was just... His, his call and his priority in life was to minister to those Chinese people and uh, he was convinced at a certain point that it would give glory to God if he ran in the Olympics 
He was England's fastest sprinter. Well, you know the story. Many of you do at least. It's more than just a fictional movie. It really happened. And he ran, and he, of course, would have, would have easily won the category that he qualified for. But they told him one of the heats he'd have to run was on a Sunday, and he refused to run on a Sunday because he wanted to honor God before all things. And he figured the honor that God gave was way bigger than the honor that man could give. So it's more important that he honored God. So he wouldn't run on a Sunday. Even the Prince of Wales came and said, will you please consider running? No. He ends up running in a race that he didn't even train for, and he wins it. But of course, there's a famous quote, and you may have said, I saw that in a movie once, but he really said it. He said, when I run, I feel his pleasure. Can you imagine running like that? He didn't run because he needed to make it big. You know, Eric actually went back to China when the Japanese invaded. Eric decided rather than flee the country, he'd stay with the people God had put him with. And he died in a Chinese prison camp being called Uncle Eric. But I love, I love what he said. When I run, I feel his pleasure. That's different. When you're running so that you're not disqualified, you're probably running for the wrong reason. Paul said, I, I train so I don't get disqualified. That's, that factors in, but that's not the reason you run. Olympic athletes don't say, someday I'm going to be in the Olympics and I won't be disqualified. That's not a go dream. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a qualifier. I want to be somebody that doesn't, that doesn't run outside his lane. That's, kids don't talk about things like that. That's not worth the training. It's not worth the training just to say, well, he got 256th place, but he didn't get disqualified. I mean, that's not worth the time. I don't run to not get disqualified, even though that factors into my race. It's not the reason I do it. I don't run because I, I don't like the people running next to me. No. I run to win. And ultimately, I run because I love to run. And I love, as, as Eric said, I run and I feel his pleasure. And that's, that's such a great way to live life, is to feel the pleasure of God. Because you were designed for this. You were made for this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Thank God. Of course, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 for the most part. In fact, you know what? I know that uh, we are on time, but let's read this in a little bit more of its entirety so that you get the context here. He says in verse 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power... I love that phrase. The surpassing greatness of the power. It means God's... This power that's been put inside, inside of us is surpassing greatness. It's bigger than, bigger than you have ever could imagine. Surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way. Remember, Paul went through a bunch of persecutions to per spread the gospel. He went through a lot of stuff. He recounts it at one point. He says, I was stoned to death. He says, I... I spent a couple nights in the deep. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beat. He's been put in prison. And he says, he says, we're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. He says, we're perplexed, but we're not despairing. He says, we're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. 
he says, struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. He says, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. In other words, I went through all this so that you could have the life of God. We went through this so you'd hear the gospel. And maybe we've had to put up with death in, in, in every corner. We've had to face it multiple times. But now life is work th- working in you and it's worth it all. And he says this in the next verse, in verse 13. But we have the same spirit of faith. According to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Well, that's a good thing to live by, isn't it? knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. So here's what he's looking at. I'm not looking at the people that are persecuting me. I'm not thinking about that because in the end, they tried to crush me, but I was not destroyed. They tried to strike me down. They tried to to persecute me, but I've never been forsaken. All of that never ends badly because you never really touched what mattered. And he says, in the end, here's what's happening. Here's what gives us motivation. That when we preach to you, he said, we did it all for you. We did it all for you so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. That whole paragraph ends with the phrase, the glory of God. That's what I'm thinking about. That's what motivates me. Paul doesn't say, oh, I went through all this stuff so that I could know that the sweet by and by is better. He doesn't say, oh, I had to go through all of this so that I would know that, that I'm not any more special than you. Here he says, I went through all of that for you. But the end result is the glory of God. That's why I did it. Because God will retain and receive much glory. And it's all worth it. And here's what he says. Therefore, remember, it matters what you give weight to. It matters what you count light and what you count heavy. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Why? If it's therefore, we've got to look back, right? Why don't we lose heart? Because this is going to abound in the glory of God. Because you received the gospel. Because light came to you. And you who were dead now live. So we don't give up. We don't lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day day for momentary you know what momentary is that's a moment it's another moment that's momentary momentary light listen to that what does he call it light light affliction now if you read the previous paragraph you might have said that didn't sound light to me I'd classify that heavy persecution he's not saying it's lighter than other persecution he's saying persecution itself is but momentary light what does he say momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal what weight of glory far beyond all comparison the King James says it's an exceeding weight (laughs) do you understand what he's saying the glory that's ahead is heavy 
is more of it's more weight than we've ever carried in our life. I mean, think about it like like gold at the end of the rainbow. This is the glory that awaits. He says, this stuff is so light. He says, wait till you see how heavy the glory of God is. This is what matters to me. I count all of this momentary, temporary junk. It's light. It doesn't affect me. I'll tell you what's heavy. Can you imagine? When he says this word weight, it's translated everywhere else as burden, a heavy burden. But when it's glory, oh, that's great. You don't see the guy at the end of the pirate movie. I haven't watched a pirate movie, but, but imagine it was. I see the guy at the end of the pirate story get that huge weight, that huge treasure of gold, and he goes, too heavy, too much gold. <laughs> I quit. I thought being a pirate would be easy, but that's so much gold in there. It's too heavy. I quit. You don't see that, do you? The heavier, the better. Because it's gold. The more it weighs, the more it's worth. And he says, this temporary, momentary light affliction, it's light to me. Why is it light? Because it's temporary. It doesn't count for anything, and it can't stop us. You know, the amount of times that Paul was persecuted, he never was stopped. You know when he got his head chopped off? When he said, I'm done. That's when he did. You know when Jesus was crucified? He was ready for it. He didn't say, wait, 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 I got more things to do. I got more things to do. When they tried to do that and he had more to do, what did he do? He just walked through the crowd. So he says, this stuff is momentary light. And he says, it's producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Comparison to what? Comparison to any of this stuff. He says it's beyond comparison. What does that mean? It's not worth comparing. It's insulting to compare these things. Far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen. What does he say? Does he say we don't look as much? Does he say we only look a little? He says we look not at the things which are seen. Now if you say that to somebody in the mall, don't look at the things which are seen, that's what else am I supposed to look at but the things that are seen? It's what eyes are for. But he says, we don't look at the things. When he says look, it doesn't mean your eyes don't ever see them. It means we don't ever fix our eyes on them. We don't count them as anything. We don't consider them. We don't think about them. He says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Can I ask you a question? Some of you are nodding, so I will ask you a question. <laughs> Tia is shaking her head because she always says, can I ask you a question? I go, yes, you just did. There you go. And she says, so now she goes, can I ask you two questions? And it's just because I'm being a brat, and she's a loving wife. So anyways, I'll ask you this question. Let's ask this question. It, somebody who has not been born again, who's not been renewed, whose eyes have been opened, can they ever look at what's not seen? No, you can start thinking about it, but you can't really see them. You can't see them. You can be told about them, but you can't see them. But once God came, the Bible says, and in fact, if you were to look at the beginning of this chapter itself, He says the light, as God said, light shine in the darkness. So God has called the light 
to shine through us and shine through our hearts to reflect the glory of God in the face of Christ. So here's the deal, that when the gospel is preached, the light comes in and you can see what you couldn't see before. And now, as believers, you don't have an excuse to ignore the unseen things. You don't have an excuse to just go by what you see, feel, smell, and taste or hear. Now we live by faith. And that means we look at the things you can't see. Last week we, we recounted the story of Elijah's, Elisha's servant that when the city was surrounded by enemies, and Elisha's servant's freaking out because surely this is the end. This is the end of old Elisha and, and his servant. Because they're not going to say, well, you're just a sidekick, run along. I get to die with him. And Elisha doesn't seem to be worried. And he says, what do you see? And at that point, Elisha says to God, God, open his eyes. And when he looks around, he sees an army of the heavenly hosts surrounding the city. And he knows that one angel with one sword could slay thousands. And yet God has sent more than one to surround him, even as the enemy army surrounds him. And he understands that what I couldn't see is far greater than what I could see. So here's the solution. Lord, open my eyes that I can see what you see. Because you make decisions by what you see. You'll make decisions by what you see. And it depends what you're looking at, but what, whatever you're looking at will determine what you do. And if you see... What God sees, you make different decisions than if you see what you just would have saw. Right? I mean, if Elisha's on top of the, uh, on top of the city and sees an army surrounding him, he's going to make a decision. If that's all he sees, he's doing something different than if he sees the army of God surrounding him. You act differently when you see what God sees. You act differently when you think about what God thinks about. And you act differently when you give weight to the things He gives weight to and count as light the things that He counts as light. You've got to do this through your whole life. You've got to choose what's going to matter to you. And people are going to say stupid things to you. I guarantee they're going to say stupid things to you. And it'll be an attempt on the relationship that God has built to break a relationship and cause strife and cause division and give Satan a foothold. And you've got to choose that that is light to me. It's not heavy. It will not burden me. I won't think about it all night. I won't think about it the next day. I'm letting it go. And then when something happens, you get a doctor's report. You get a financial report. You get something from work. You, somebody says something. You read something. You have a choice whether that becomes heavy to you or light to you. And the heavy things are the things you're thinking about, the things that are occupying your thoughts the things you dream about, the things you wake up thinking about, that's what's heavy to you. And you can make that decision. You get to choose what's heavy and what's light. And if you want to spend all your time thinking about how hard everything is, you will go through the race, and eventually you will grow weary, and you will lose heart. But if you consider Jesus, who for the joy set before Him, endured the cross and made light of the shame, and you'll run and it says consider him who endured such hostility and it didn't stop him he endured such hostility and he accomplished his goal he endured such hostility and yet the scripture says at the beginning of the book of Hebrews that he was anointed with the oil of gladness above his brethren which means 
that forget the movies, forget the artwork, forget the stories, if you were to go back and hang around Jesus like his disciples did, he would have been the happiest guy in the bunch. Full of joy. Oil of gladness. Now, we know that joy comes from the inside, right? But if it's strong on the inside, it'll work its way to the outside pretty easily. And when we talk about an oil of gladness, does that sound like a sad man? Because when the scripture refers to him as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, he's speaking of a moment when he bore all your sorrows and bore all your grief. And he did it. Does not mean he walked through life full of grief and sorrow. It means he bore it so you wouldn't have to. So that we can go and look at things the way God looks at things. Thank God. The book of Psalms and in a couple different places describes circumstances where armies of the all these armies of different nations gather against and wage war. And it looks like the worst situation you could ever dream up. Like the worst disaster movie you've ever seen. I mean, it, it, it doesn't look like there's a chance. And then the scripture says, and God looks down from the heavens and laughs. God laughs because he knows what you don't know. And he sees what you don't see. And the Bible says, for he has seen their end. Now, do you suppose if we listened to what God said and saw what God saw heard what he told us that we might laugh when it's insane to laugh that we might have joy when we shouldn't have joy because we see what other people don't see what does he say at the end of this chapter he says we look not at the things which are seen but the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporal But the things which are not seen are eternal. So we have joy when no one else has joy. We have strength when other people lose their strength because we're not looking at what they're looking at. We see something different because God shows you. If you'll listen, if you'll open your eyes, listen, you say, but I can't see what God sees. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. Absolutely. But the Bible says He's given you His Spirit that He may reveal things to you. He's given you His Word that you would see. He opened your eyes so that you could see. So that you could see what He sees. Jesus said, when I give you the Holy Spirit, He'll be a helper, He'll be a comforter, He'll be a guide. And all things which He hears, He will disclose to you. You don't have to go through life going, I wish I saw what you saw because it's so hard down here. You can see what He sees. This is what faith is. Faith, the scripture says, faith which is seen is not faith. Hope which is seen is not hope. If you could see it, it's not faith. If Abraham knew where he was going, it wouldn't be faith to go there. But he trusted God. And sometimes who you know is way more important than what you know. When you know that God is for you, and when you know that he, your ways are ordered at the ways of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. When you know that He has prepared a path for you to walk in, if you'll obey Him, you'll walk in it. Then you know and you see that there is nothing that is as weighty as what's ahead of me. And I focus on that. Focus on that 
all you can because that's what really matters. What will you give weight to? What will you yield to? What will you resist? Brother Keith Moore preached a wonderful sermon a few weeks ago, and, and that was one thing that he said. He said, he said, you've got to yield to the joy of the Lord. He says, it's very important in life. You've got to determine what you will yield to and what you will resist. Your soul has a big part to play in this, guys. So if we're going to decide, we're going to determine that I'm going to run the race and I'm not going to give up, then you've got to choose what's going to matter to you and what's going to cause you to think more, what's going to cause you to cry, and what's going to cause you to laugh. And you're going to have to, you get to choose that. You may think, I don't get to choose that. If it's sad, I cry. If it's happy, I laugh. Well, think about this. You could, depending on what you choose to think about, you could cry every day of the year. There's people starving, there's wars, there's famines. You could, you could have something to be sad about all the time. It's not like the world is waiting for something sad to happen. You have to choose what you're thinking about. Now, listen, of course, Jesus had compassion, didn't he? So what did he do? He didn't sit home and cry about it. He didn't look at them and he said, I felt compassion for them. They're like sheep without a shepherd. So I went back and I cried. I said, those poor little sheep, they don't have a shepherd. They're probably going to die. A wolf's going to eat them. It's going to be horrible. He doesn't go and do that. What does he do? He's moved with compassion. Why? Because he has the answer. He is the shepherd. So if they're sheep without a shepherd, boom, how convenient. I'm the shepherd and I'm here. So he's moved with compassion and he heals them. Thank God. God begins to speak to you and your heart begins to break for the lost in your neighborhood. You've got something to do about it. Now, that sadness won't motivate you as much as the faith will. That may be a motivator, but you can't spend all your time going, I just do this because I'm so sad for the lost. At some point, you've got to have faith and you've got to see what Jesus saw the joy of when they come home. The joy of them being saved. Because if you, you can't live by sadness. It doesn't work. Jesus did not go to the cross feeling sorry for you. Did he? He didn't go to the cross feeling bad for you, even though you were of most people to be pitied. He did not go to the cross saying, I'm going to the cross because they're so pathetic, even though we are. He went to the cross for the joy. He saw beyond the sadness. He saw the end. Compassion may move you. It will move you. But love, faith, and hope cause us to have strength and joy. And we run and we don't lose heart. We don't grow weary and we don't lose heart. Think about this. We're about to close, but think about this thought. But the scripture says we will in due season reap a harvest if we don't if we faint not, if we don't lose heart, if we don't give up. Ironically, many of the times we get so discouraged is because something hasn't happened yet. But then when you get discouraged, you quit, and it never happens because you didn't wait it out. In fact, Peter writes, there'll be many people that fall away because they say Where's your promise that Jesus is coming? They stop believing that he's ever coming. They stop looking forward to it. So they give up. They just lose heart. 
you've got something to look forward to. There are things that you've got to fix your mind. Your mind is under your control. You can control this thing up here. It may want to run wild and may want to worry about all the things that it's got to worry about, but you control it. You set the course. You can fix your eyes on whatever you want to fix your eyes on. You can fix your hope on whatever you want to fix your hope on. Don't buy into the lie that I'm just an emotional person. I'm an emotional roller coaster. You don't have to be that way because God has given you, uh, he has given you the spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. You can control that. One of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. You don't have to go everywhere that your mind wants to go. And you may be hurt, and you may be afraid, and you may be worried, and you may be anxious, but you don't have to stay there, snap out of it, and begin to think about what God sees. Because that's the only way out. That's the only way out. You know, I've worked with people before who had rough childhoods. And I realize, and you've got to realize when you study it out, that, that there's a lot of life skills and verbal skills and analytical skills that are gained like in the first three years of your life first three four years if your parents read to you huge head start your parents talked to you huge head start all of these things just seem minor at the time but they boy they give somebody a huge head start and some people didn't always get that so when they go to a job interview they may have the skills but they don't know how to communicate it disadvantage right well so it's kind of not fair to say, we're all on the same team. If you just work hard and get a job, you can do well. You're just a whiner. Sometimes some people have a harder time getting there because of basic skills that they never learned. I acknowledge that. But when you're dealing with somebody who had that kind of background, they don't need to think about that anymore. Because if they spend the rest of their life thinking about that, they will stay at the bottom. They may have a reason. They may have the best excuse in the world. But the best excuse in the world does not excuse you from life. Now, we've got to have compassion and, and realize, you know what? Somebody like that may need a hand because they didn't get the advantage that I had when I was a kid. Too much is given, much is required. But at the same time, when you're speaking to these people, they don't need to spend the rest of their life whining about what they didn't have. That won't get them anywhere. What they need to know is what God can do and what God's able to do. And that person can come out of the pit. And though they may not have had the same advantages, once we realize that God's there with a hand out, reaching down, pulling us out of the mud and the mire, we have the hope. We have strength. We have something to look forward to. You have the choice what you choose to think about. You may have good reasons to be worried. You may have good reasons to be afraid. But you have even better reason to have hope if you can see what God sees. Amen.